Intamon Theater presents Here, that's H-I-R, Taylor Mac's sly, subversive comedy about a vet returned from the wars only to encounter a different war zone, a household in revolt. Now through March 25th, check out Here, presented by Intamon Theater. Grab tickets online at www.intimon.org backslash here. Again, that's H-I-R. And while you're on your way to the theater, swing by our sponsor, Horizon Books, serving Seattle book lovers for 47 years with the finest collection of secondhand literature in the city. Mention Upzones at the register for a 10% discount. Our sponsors are Intamon Theater and Horizon Books, and this is Upzones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. Hola, Upsonians. This is Ian. How's it going? We had a great freaking weekend. It was like summer in March. Monday's today, Monday's Sunday, amazing, amazing, amazing weather. Makes me excited to be outside, thinking about building a community, thinking about being outside in the community. I got down to Beacon Hill for a little lunch yesterday. Uh, Yesterday, when you hear this, um, had the opportunity to cruise around a little bit and get some errands done in Soto. You know what? It's the perfect day for some community building exercises And a couple of amazing guests. We got Teresa Mosqueda from the Seattle City Council and Matt Hutchins, um, an architect from Care Architecture, civic leader, leading the fight to not only densify the city, but bring architects into uh, a a rigorous pro bono activity situation. (laughs) They were great. So they had a lot uh, in common. They both... We're born in Colorado, um, both moved here as, as young folks, and uh, both love this city. Both had interesting things to say about Fort Lawton development, which is something uh, all the listeners should be taking a lot of keen interest in as we go forward. But anyway, yeah, <clears throat> two great guests today. Can't wait for you to hear them. I'm doing good. This thing's been going well. A lot of good listeners, a lot of interesting feedback. You know, planning a wedding, a lot going on in life. I got one for you. My fiance says that now that we've found love, by Heavy D and the Boys, which is one of my favorite dance songs of all time, is not a good dance song for our wedding. It did almost lead to a breakup, but we found peace. Now that we've found peace, we're going to have the song at the wedding. Until then, let's get Teresa and Matt lined up for you. So thanks for, for coming out. Yeah, have we started? Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I, I watched your, your campaign. I voted for you. Thank and you. I, I'm not just saying that. I would tell you I, there are people that I did not vote for, yes. and I will tell them to their face. I mean, this is Wave, right? I rode a 2017 Wave along with 
thousands of people who were outraged about the previous presidential election. And <laughs> yeah. we have record numbers of women and record numbers of people of color who decided to stand up to run for office. And as a woman, as a person of color, and also as a renter in a city that's become in increasingly expensive, I think that this is part of what it means to have greater representative democracy step in and say, hey, we don't have to put the labels and put people into camps. We got to come together and collectively solve this problem yeah, of affordability and Where do you live? Like what, what neighborhood are you living in right now? I live in Lower Queen Anne, okay. Queen Anne area. Yep. Um, rent an apartment that's like a 1901. Um, beautiful in, brick old apartment. Yeah, building. I live in exactly up uh, in uh, Capitol Hill, one of those like brick buildings where the walls are plaster so you can't yes. even hang yes. paintings. You need yes. Velcro strips on the back. Exactly. Yeah. And it's gorgeous yeah. and it's beautiful. And I'm lucky, um, but also, you know, would love to own one day. Yeah. <laughs> and so as we're Wouldn't fighting know. to create more affordable rental units, I also want to make sure we're creating more affordable housing options. And one day, the family that I'll create will have, will have. a place that we can call home. So you grew up in Olympia, right? I did. I grew up in Olympia. I was born in Denver. Also love that city. I uh, grew up in Olympia since I was eight and been in Seattle since going to undergrad. So basically about 20 years. You're done. Mm -hmm. I saw something. I did a little uh, research. Uh, <laughs> I, I called Google. And uh, <laughs> I saw that you were like at the WTO protests. Oh, yeah. Like the, like the big ones. Yeah. So you've been, in, you've been here a long time. Absolutely. So it was um, 99 WTO protests, not only there, but there uh, with the machistas, with the student activists who are part of the Chicano movement, the Mecha um, activists that were there who were standing in solidarity with activists and fighters in, in Chiapas. So mm -hmm. trying to really bring mm -hmm. to Seattle that global fight. Like and the Zapatistas. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Representing the Zapatistas, representing Chicano students, you know, wanting to see affordable housing and education as well. And that's where we really saw the struggle that brought together turtles and teamsters. And I always think about that in what today's struggles. Turtles, like people fighting for environmental justice okay. and teamsters as a you know a symbol labor of unions. labor yeah. unions yep. right yep. so in today's struggle as we think about how trump and others try to divide us really thinking back to those roots about the intersectionality of these struggles right. is something i'm hoping seattle Whoa. leads on okay. and cool. does more and more of because we did it in wto yeah. let's let's continue to do it so you've been here like i said you've been here a long time and you just said something really interesting about trump you know that yeah. but it's you said and others and what i find interesting is here in seattle we have this almost like we're our own worst enemy sometimes. There's a camp of folks who, they don't want to see us change, and I understand and respect that, and I think if we, as we change, we need to consider the least among us. I think that's what a progressive does. But it, what I found interesting about some of the stuff that you've been just focusing on is that it, you almost seem to understand that change is just coming, mm -hmm. so we have to manage it. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to that, just like what gave you that philosophy? Where, you know, where does that come from for you? Well, I think it's embedded in what we mean when we say that Seattle is a welcoming city, right? Seattle is a welcoming city, welcoming for immigrants and refugees. But we also want to be a welcoming city for folks who want to come here for economic security, start their own business, find a good living wage job, have their rights protected as a worker. I also want to be a welcoming city for people who are going to come here as climate refugees. If you look what happened in Puerto Rico and the South and Florida and across the country in recent years, people are going to continue 
continue to come to Seattle because we're going to have a more stable climate. And that's the reality. If we're going to be welcoming, we have to be welcoming the immigrants and refugees, climate refugees and economic refugees. A thousand people a week are coming to the Seattle region and we don't have enough housing for the folks who are here today. Yeah. So creating enough housing for the generation that's currently here, the generations that are coming, the workers that are coming, the immigrants and refugees we say that we're welcoming to, that's what it means to stand up and say, let's think outside of the box. Let's stop putting camps or drawing lines of where people can or cannot build and actually think about density, density done right through yeah. the community lens. Well, what's density done right? Actually, yeah. it's fine, before you get into that, <laughs> this is art, it's art walk day. I mean, the whole thing is we're just a big, loud, chaotic city environment. We're yeah. basically in the basement of Numos, but that music was perfect. Yes, <laughs> it's all good. Future, like, yes. Oh, we're build we a can city come together and build the city of the future. <laughs> Seattle's a freaking utopia. Yeah, and well, a city that includes a space for artists and yeah. activists, yeah. and you know, which those nobody who can afford run. to do unless. Yeah. So my take is we've got to build up. And we there do. is a, that, you know, my listeners know this now. I, I, I'm very strong about this, but we, we've got to do it right. So what is your position on, like, what's the right way to, to get dense? Yeah. So I, I'm, I always say we need development done right and density done right. When we have community at the table to help shape what development looks like, we can end up with a thriving building that really serves our community needs. So think about Roberto Maestas Plaza. Think about the fact that we have two, you know, small towers there that have low-income housing in it. Well, the way that they got... This Beacon Hill. Yeah, yeah, Beacon Hill mm -hmm. at El Centro de la Raza, mm -hmm. across the street from the Beacon Hill light rail station. The way that they got there from the story I was told by Estella and others is that for years they worked to bring the community together to address any concerns and fears that folks had in mm -hmm. the neighborhood, mm -hmm. but really to see this as a public asset. Now they have a community plaza that mm -hmm. has art around the building, childcare facilities, women and minority owned businesses, a place for gathering, and it is constantly pointed to... The best coffee shop like, in the city. The too. best, yes. <laughs> shout out. But really, I think think that was done because we brought folks to the table. So when we do that, like we're doing in the ID right now, like we're doing um, along the, the light rail, kind of making up for development done wrong in the past, we can prevent displacement and we can create buildings so that current um, residents have an affordable place to live and that future families and individuals and workers and retirees can stay here. When I also say development done right, it means making sure that there's affordable housing for families and individuals and workers and artists <laughs> like the ones that we can hear playing outside to live near amenities, parks and transit and schools and childcare facilities and, you know, small businesses like the, the coffee shop we just shouted out, because that's that's what it means to actually think about development through a social justice lens. Mm -hmm. We want people to access resource rich communities like the one I live in. I mean, I live in Queen Anne and I can walk to my coffee shop. I can walk to the bus. I can walk to a park yeah. every single Density day. Density is actually serving you. Exactly. And it's, and it's in its own way, it's a, it's, a, it's a form of prosperity, right? Absolutely. We have that, we have that, the privilege of, of being able to walk everywhere, of having everything we need. Yeah. Right? So we want to bring that to the rest of the city, right? But if you peel a layer back mm. and you look at where my apartment is, mm -hmm. it is in Queen Anne along 10th Avenue West in an area that used to be zoned for multifamily use. Mm -hmm. And over the last decade, it has been rezoned into single family. So all around my apartment, there's duplexes, there's triplexes, there's quads, there's um, apartment buildings like the one I live in. 
and yet it's been rezoned into a single family area. So when the tiny little house went up uh, for sale next door to mine, instead of building another eight unit apartment complex like the one I live in, which would match the which character matches of my the neighborhood. neighborhood. Right, exactly. So you can't even use that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instead, a four and a half story single family home was put there. And there's there's two adults and one uh, kiddo who's living there. Mm -hmm. Now, I think. You always say kiddo. I do. Yeah, my mom I, always says kiddo. Said, People ask where I got that from. And then I hear my mom saying it all the time. I'm like, that, that must be it right there. <laughs> so, you know, yes, we want people to be able to live in this city. But if we look historically at sort of the wrongs, I would say, that have been done zoning wise, we've gone the wrong way. If you think about inclusion, if you think about access to resources, if you think about social cohesion from a public health perspective, you want people engaging with each other and living in the city they work, not driving and commuting for two hours. It's yeah. bad for our health. It's bad for the environment. If I had a dollar for every time a guest in this show mentioned the two hour commute. You, yeah, I'd have at least like ten dollars. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. And so we have the tools. Um, we was, need the courage to look at those maps and say we've redlined folks out effectively. Who's doing it? Who, wh where, how did we go? I don't mean name names, yeah. my friend, but I mean how did we go from this is Lower Queen Anne, your home. This is a, a an urban village with multifamily housing zoning. X number of floors, whatever it happened to be. How did we go back? Who's leading that charge? And where are they getting their political power from? Well, I think the looking at the political power of the past is probably the best place to start mm. because historically when we have uh, not encouraged or included women and people of color and younger folks and lower wage folks in our political representation, then you can see why some of the voices who've been the loudest who have property that they want to protect and maybe grow are constantly the voices that are heard if that's your lived experience. My lived experience is not as a you know, maybe maybe somebody who's able to build that home. My lived experiences as a renter in my mid thirties, just got married, want to be able to own one day. Thank you. Oh, congrats! Yeah. It, I got married last September. I, it was awesome. Well, it was a big fall for you last year. <laughs> it was a big year last year. Wow, but you know, it, it, when we think about um, how we can bring those voices forward, I think that's part of what the city's trying to do right now. Part of what the city is trying to do is make sure that there's more representative voices at the table: renters, communities of color, lower income folks and yes homeowners absolutely and bringing people together to talk about what inclusion looks like um, and not just listening to those who happen to have the time or right. the resources to come and, and and a very loud voice I mean what you're seeing now I think with some of the social media let's call it self-reflection that our country's doing is it's just a tool mm -hmm. and it's it has been in some ways the tool has been well used by very loud minorities, and I don't mean that's mm -hmm. not, that doesn't mean ethnic minorities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean people who are aggrieved uh, about something, and they are not in the majority of who would benefit from an issue, but they're they've marshaled it very well. So it's encouraging to just recognize that that's sort of being identified, mm -hmm. and that now we have the opportunity to kind of people who are going to yeah. be the the counter. Offensive, if you will, against some of these policies. Right. And, you know, I really want to be careful as well to talk about how we can change the dialogue around this, because I think that for various reasons, people are afraid of change. They're mm -hmm. afraid of change because they're worried about what will happen to them and their family and their home. But they're also afraid of change, especially for some of our communities of color and lower income folks, because they have been left out of the conversation in the past. Their voice hasn't been heard. And so when we think about development, some people equal development with displacement. And that comes from a place 
rooted in the fact that many experience. times that was the result, yeah. of, especially because they weren't pulled to the table. So what I'm really wanting to do is sort of break away from the labels that have been put on folks and really say, we understand that there's some concerns and con fear of the unknown is a very real fear. But bringing people to the table to talk about what development in our communities look like and root that in trying to create a more equitable society, affordable housing, affordable childcare, access to grocery stores so we don't have people living in food deserts. That is inclusive and it's um, inclusive not of not just those who want to live in that neighborhood, but inclusive of those who are already living in that neighborhood. And I think that um, we should be cognizant of the fact that some of the fear of change um, comes from a, a very lived experience of being excluded in the past, and yeah. I want to be able to hear that and also address it by, by having early conversations with folks. That makes a lot of sense. Look, you're proposing something that I think a lot of my listeners will love to hear, density and urbanization rooted in social justice, right? But that takes bold stances. Mm -hmm. And at a personal level, council member, I when you take bold stances, people come after you. Mm -hmm. And that I'm having um, uh, transferred anxiety just thinking about <laughs> what yeah. someone who's in a leadership position has to live through or deal with on a daily yeah. basis, whether it's the, I'm sure you get the ye people who yell at you on, you know, the mic or whatever. But, uh, you know, just at a personal level, what what is your approach to that kind of, if, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to take bold positions mm -hmm. and get people on your side. So how are you preparing for that mentally psychologically, yeah. spiritually, whatever it is. Well, I haven't shied away from these positions in the entire time I was running. I ran on a very pro-density, pro-growth, pro-inclusion yeah. platform. And, you know, we got 60-some percent, six, just around 60% of the vote. And I think it's because people hear that call for being inclusive, wanting to be a welcoming city, and also recognizing times have changed. People don't want to commute hours in from the suburbs. They actually want to be able to walk to work. They want to walk their kiddo downstairs and put them in the childcare and then go across the street to the grocery store, Union grocery stores. And what I think uh, we've seen is is a, a change in the narrative about what it means to live in the city. It's a new urbanism. I heard people say recently, new localism. Like it's a, it's a belief that when we live in near our amenities, school, work, childcare, um, healthcare, that we're healthier. And the statistics play out. The number one thing that actually helps us be healthy in the long run, life expectancy, uh, overall health uh, outcomes, is actually social cohesion. It's the social determinants of health. Do you have self-determination? Do you have a people to talk to? Do you feel like you're a part of a community? And we can create that environment when we're all able to live in the city that we work and stay in the city that we retire. So I'm very optimistic that there's a new way of thinking about urbanism and cities and density. And um, I, I believe it. That's part of what I tried to bring to the campaign. And I think people resonated with that. And that's why we got the, the amount of support that we did. I'll also say that it's really critical for your listeners and anybody out there in the community who's supportive of this vision of a more inclusive city, a city that can build up and be be diverse in terms of ownership and rental options, if, if we can have more of those voices heard. Because I think often what you see, and this is true for Yelp, it's true for any online reviews, those who didn't have a great experience or those who are in, upset, yeah, yeah. they weigh in. Yeah. We need those who think that it's a good idea and sort of wanting the, to be part of it to weigh in and make their voices heard. The not heard. sexy stuff that President Obama used to talk about. Yeah, yeah. it's not sexy, but you got to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Well, that's a great segue. What does a, a listener do? What do they go do right now? We'll, we'll air this on Monday. This will be you, you get you get preferential treatment. <laughs> great. Right? This is my form of yeah. uh, corruption. You get, you, get to, you don't have to wait. No, no. But so they're going to be listening next week, right? Yeah. 
what does the listener do? We have so many opportunities for folks to weigh in this year. We're talking about looking at the city, citywide, and how do we create greater opportunities for folks to live in urban centers, in upzones throughout the city. And there's evening meetings, there's council meetings um, every other Monday. Council member Rob Johnson has been leading the effort uh, to really engage with communities about citywide upzones, talking about how do we get uh, mandatory housing affordability opportunities throughout the city so you see greater density, greater opportunities for folks to live and rent. It's real wonky. Like you said, it's not very sexy, but we're asking folks to turn out, weigh in, send emails, send us calls, actually engage. There's a Seattle for Everyone Coalition, if folks haven't heard of that. It's a really great way to talk to your neighbors about what's coming up and ask questions and then also to weigh in. If you want more people in your neighborhood to be able to have affordable rental options or affordable homeownership options, this is the opportunity. If you live in a neighborhood like I do where you want more people to be able to access parks and coffee shops and schools, weigh in so that we can create the density needed. And even, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, even if if you're living in Capitol Hill, even if your income is relatively high, <laughs> unless the rest of the city catches up, the, the upward pressure is going to mean that eventually everyone's going to get squeezed out except for the very rich. The, the Manhattanization, if you will, of the city will continue, right? I exactly. Mean, you don't have to be... Um, a barista to be worried about this. Right. Everyone should want to be involved right. in this. Absolutely. And I think it's important to also underscore this isn't a either or opportunity, right? A, I'm focused on making sure that we can get the up zones included throughout the city so that we can create the density, um, two and three bedrooms so families can live in the city and also um, rental and home ownership options. But number two, I also want to make sure that we're thinking about ways for the city to take ownership responsibility. I have a piece of legislation that we've been working on with other council members and we'll be talking to the mayor's office about making sure that every parcel of publicly owned land is converted into affordable housing and that we create true public ownership what options. What are you going to do with that golf course? <laughs> I, I know, exactly. <laughs> Put a lid on it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's not... Yeah, but it, you know, a good example is the large piece of land that used to be military owned, right, out at Discovery Park. You're the second guest that's mentioned that. Can you talk a little bit about sure. what, where we are with that sure. and, and what's next or what's happening? Uh, I will give you uh, the update that I know. So, if for all of your listeners, for folks like me, through um, throughout their time living in Seattle, my favorite place to go was Discovery yeah, Park. You can be at the ocean, you can be in the mountains, you can go for a run, you can go for a hike. There's large play fields, and it is a great resource in our city. I think. It's actually one of the biggest parks, I don't know, very large piece of land um, nationally. And now we have the chance to convert it into city-owned hands. And as we do so, as we take it from the army and put it into city-owned hands, I, I think what we're trying to do is create three concepts. One is low-income housing for folks who are homeless or on the verge of being homeless. Um, low-income rental units so that folks who um, are struggling with the increased cost of rent actually have an affordable place to live. And then also places where people can purchase and actually have their first home ownership option. Mm -hmm. That's the type of housing that we're now going to create. And it's not going to take over the park. It's a small parcel of the park, but we're trying to figure out how we increase access to resource-rich areas surrounding Discovery Park. It doesn't displace anybody. It actually pr protects and preserves the park as we create affordable housing. It mitigates displacement, exactly. in fact. Yeah. So That's I'm going to be looking at parcels of city-owned, county-owned, state-owned, public utility-owned, land, sound transit. We're going to have a presentation in my committee soon that will look at all of those and then really try to do an analysis. 
of those pieces of land, where can we create affordable housing? How much of it can be, how high can we build? And then also, um, how can we get community involvement so it looks like what the community wants? Art and culture centers right. and childcare and Density. healthcare. Yeah. Yes. Everything everywhere. Yeah. What's your favorite bar in Seattle? Oh my gosh. And you have to pick. I will tell you. You have to pick. <laughs> so shout out to Targi's, Top of Queen Everybody loves Targi's. Oh, do they really? Pete Carroll goes to Targi's. Oh, Did that's you know lit. that? Oh, I have not seen Pete there. He, well, he only goes when they win because he doesn't want to deal with it. I see, I see. <laughs> so, so he didn't go a lot this year. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a shout out to their bingo night and to their trivia night. Targi's is a great little local bar, which again, walking distance. All my Korean friends yeah. love Targi's. Yeah. That's great. All right. <laughs> I hope they hear me too because we have spent many a birthdays there and many a many a night. And well, why a don't great we get spot. them as a sponsor? Of that a would be great. If you're listening, <laughs> proprietors of Targi's. What do you got coming up? <laughs> well, as you know, I come from the labor movement. Um, as we think about what's under threat because of the Trump administration, it's women, it's immigrant workers, it's workers' rights in general. We have a piece of legislation that actually looks at all three of these issues. We are trying to stand up and protect domestic workers. We're going to have a domestic workers' bill of rights this year in my committee. If you think about the folks who are caring for our kiddos, mm -hmm. cleaning our kitchens, um, taking care of our lawns, these folks have historically been excluded from federal protections under the law. State and federal law does not cover domestic workers. What and is we're a protection? Give me like one or two. What does that mean, a protection? Ba basic things that you and I might take for granted. Protection to make sure that you get the minimum wage. Protection for overtime. Making sure that you can take the new laws just passed here related to sick leave and family leave. Mm -hmm. And as of yesterday, equal pay for equal work. Thank you, state legislature. Right. But all of the labor standards protections that you and I may take for granted or that we've been able to, to benefit from over the years, domestic workers are excluded from those. So in the city of Seattle, we are saying we're going to stand up, stand in solidarity with women workers, immigrant workers, and make sure that we are protecting domestic workers with a Bill of Rights. Cool. Awesome. Um, and, you know, we end every show uh, with a little bit we call, if you care about, then you should fill in the blanks. All right. If you care about all of the communities that we have been so proud of in Seattle to stand up and protect, women, immigrants, workers, the LGBTQ community, we need you, yes, in the streets, but we also need you to stand up to run for office at the local level, at the national levels, school board, public utility district. I never thought that I would say yes. Being part of the political um, decision-making group is an extension of your activism. Please think about running for office. We don't tell our kids, we don't tell our friends, we don't tell our family members enough to run. Please run. <laughs> I mean, so many, so many folks who have very strongly held conviction see themselves as outside of the system. Mm -hmm. I, I almost feel like that conviction is born in many ways mm -hmm. from being outside of the system, and it's like this cycle. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah, I mean, and I get it, right? I've been for years an organizer creating political power in the streets, and we need that. We also need people to create the political power and momentum in political seats. So join us. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. Teresa so happy to be Come here. Come back next year when we uh, celebrate a year with a, mil a million listeners per week. Right that before. sounds good. Uh, okay, see you at Targis. amazing spot yeah we, we think it will be yeah yeah 
Well, I mean, just like there's like all these old buildings. Like we used to have our office at down in uh, right by where ninety not where the Battery Street Tunnel was. Yeah, and there was a whole basement that was uh, had this. It used to be for horses from like the trolleys and stuff like that. But then there was also this narrow, narrow stairway that was about this wide. That went down in the basement, super creaky. Just like this guy right here. And and but that stairway was <clears throat> the sailors and gold rushers. They could make it down the stairs to the brothel in the basement. Oh, but uh-huh. but their wives and girlfriends in hoop skirts or you know hoop dresses could not. You know they were too wide for this stairway, and so it was like a really really subtle uh, you know fence that would uh, protect the, Fa- the, uh, fashion victims. Yeah, yeah literally exactly. fashion victims. Yeah, here with Matt Hutchins. Hey, yes. how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's great to have you in. Cast architecture, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were you from the area? You born and raised here? No, I'm uh, originally from Colorado. Okay. Uh, and then I did uh, my graduate school down in Arizona. Right. And then I came here after right. that. So you grew up in Denver area, or uh, out in the plains, little town, oh, like okay. sixty thousand people, and yeah, uh, most remarkable for basically there's a giant feedlot there, and so. So it was basically, you know, like the aroma or Tacoma aroma. Right. We basically were the, you know, <laughs> the equivalent. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so that's interesting. What got you so interested in in density and urbanization and, and public spaces? Then coming from that background. Well, I think the um, I've always I've always loved houses. Loved houses when I was, uh, you know, when I was eight, I was drawing house plans and trying to convince my parents to buy them for a nickel. You know, and so I always had this interest in architecture and that always an interest in houses. And, and I think over time, my my sort of, you know, desire to to uh, serve people by designing houses has just kind of like grown in scope. And now instead of like serving, you know, creating something for one family, I wanted to create something for a bunch of families and then for the city. And so so it's kind of a natural evolution of what, you know, what sprung from, yeah, a desire just to design really cool little houses and and so it's kind of ironic that I've almost come sort of full circle and seeing the the state of of the conversation in Seattle and seeing how single family zoning is like the backdrop of so many of the the decisions that we make in the in the zoning code and how it's a, has the all these environmental and social impacts of course yeah yeah and then and so now I'm like well you know I love houses but but I don't know that I'm going to design a whole lot more Boonies in Colorado. Yeah. Arizona is not exactly a density hub either. They don't no. they don't build up much. So I mean your whole experience your whole life experience really is is actually this kind of flat, you know, mid twentieth century model. Yeah. What where did when did you have your little pivot? Well first of all I went to Phoenix to study or basically to study suburbia. That's like the thing you know it's it's the dominant pattern and so so i was really interested in yeah single family housing and how and the whole pattern but i think the the thing that has really changed is really just been in the last like last couple of years in that we we had you know gotten involved in in designing backyard cottages and advocating for the zoning changes that went into that but I think more so as I've and this was in Arizona. No, no, this is here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But as as I get deeper and deeper, like you know, deeper into the rabbit hole, there's just so many other impacts, and it's hard to stop and say, yeah, you know, I'm I'm really just concerned with this little slice of territory. When you can see the factors that are affecting the whole neighborhood, then those are affecting the whole city. Those are affecting, you know, affecting the whole the whole region. So so now it's it's like you know I'm much more concerned about infill just as a model and all the different ways that you can fill in all the empty spaces in the city and a lot of those are created by 
uh, single family houses. Uh, agreed, agreed. So where we are right now, I mean, if you're just like me, uh, a civilian in this respect, yeah. you know, I've heard that two thirds of the city is zoned for one one house, one one family rather. Right. How does that compare to you know, Paris? How does it compare to New York? How does that compare to LA? Uh, let's see. So the density of like Seattle's around. It's around. I think it's about eight thousand people per acre. I think that's about right. And it's, and it's you know twice that and uh, you know twice that in you know San Francisco, and it's you know four times that in New York. Mm-hmm. And it, you know I'm, I'm pulling this out. I'm no. Hopefully no one's checking these. Yeah. Things. Well, but it's we don't check facts here at Horizon <laughs> Books. That yeah, yeah. It's sense. it's definitely pretty low. But it, the, what's interesting about Seattle and what's What's coming is that on one hand we have the really the single-family zoning that you see everywhere is you know its density is at eight thousand people per per square mile I think it is, um, whereas and then across the street in these urban villages you know this tiny chunk of the other the seven percent of the city that isn't single-family that isn't downtown that's really just for multifamily buildings that is the densities there are. 50, 60,000 people, you know, per per mile. Mm-hmm. And so what you're, you see now and as you're going to see in the future is that as we channel all our growth into these narrow, narrow parts of the city, you know, small territories, that there's this, you know, just total schism between the single-family house just mindset and then, you know, a very, very urban city and they're going to coexist or maybe not but they're gonna be right next to each other. Yeah, interesting, and you see that as kind of foregone conclusion, that is what we're doing. Or do you see that as 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 a risk? I mean, I'm not really sure how you're framing this. Yeah, up. yeah. Well, I just think it's it's it is the way that we are dealing with growth. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at that two thirds of the city that is is a zone single family, it's uh, over the last like 20 years has probably added four percent of the population growth in in Seattle, mm-hmm. whereas. The other, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have all dropped into apartments, into urban villages, mm-hmm. and in some cases, if you look at census data from, you know, 2000 from 1990, you actually see the population in all of single-family neighborhoods dropping. And so, as families move out, as right. they as they grow older, and as you know, smaller households move in to replace them, and so you see, you know, this. Again, this this wave in the urban villages of much higher density, much more urban, urban development, sort of an urban culture, and then next door, you know, a. But, but know, doesn't that exacerbate? I mean, doesn't that exacerbate that it was one of the problems a lot of the guests on this show talk about? And they're all you know, Seattle folks. But it, 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 there's a red blue divide right now in our country. But it's it's not in a hundred percent or entirely red right. blue. It's it's a very urban suburban, and yeah. it seems to me that if we're going to even create a micro version of that by stacking all of the density into you know what eight neighborhoods yeah. now. And and then the rest of the of the whole city is remains the same. We we might be running into some social problems, some political problems. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I just wonder wh- what's your take on whether whether this is something we should be attempting now to kind of get a hold of and actually spreading some of that growth out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just don't think that it's it's healthy to have. I just don't think that as as those communities diverge, we're going to have the same sort of ability to to have a, a discussion about what's great, what's what's Seattle about? Who mm-hmm. is Seattle? Yeah, yeah, who is Seattle? And, and then you see, then there's then there's a whole other dynamic is is where, you know, people can't necessarily, you know, newcomers, uh, people that are economically displaced, they can't afford to live in either of those. And so then they're pushed to... Further out. Further out. 
Which is sprawl. Which, and, is, which sprawl. is I mean, that has yeah. its own set of problems. Um, how about you? Where are you living now? I live in West Seattle. West which Seattle. is like the, you know, most, like, sleepy car center. Right? Yeah, of you course. Know? <laughs> so, I mean, at least they're going to get a train, right? Eventually, yeah, yeah. yeah. 2030. 2030. 2030. How long yeah. you live there? Uh, I lived there for now 15 years. Okay. Oh, so. so you've seen the change in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I think we always miss is the context that, you know, I've gone through now two two busts mm -hmm. as an architect and so you see explosive growth and then the bottom drops out right. and then that builds back up and now it's you know you know it's white hot and we're making all these decisions based on well it's going to be you know white hot for forever mm -hmm. and i you know a lot of the planning that i see is doesn't really accommodate what's going to happen when the bottom drops out again mm -hmm. uh we're going to be we're trying to you know build all these programs to to create affordable housing, but we're but we're doing that by adding costs to new development. And so, what happens when that new development with this extra affordability premium is stacked on top of it? What happens when they can't they can't make those pencil grids? You know, the market totally totally stalls. Totally stalls. Interesting. So, so a, a bust would actually it'd be like it could potentially twice, harm costs. Yeah, yeah. It'd be twice as twice as bad. Yeah. I mean, and because the thing is, like, we're still planning on on you know 55,000 people and just to be clear for the listeners are you a, a like a rock ribbed republican no you're no. you're a big conservative right no no, no i didn't i know <laughs> there seems to be this is the one we get wrong mm. a lot you'll hear no slap a regulation on it yeah and uh, yeah anyway so, so I, I just I feel the need to clarify that a lot of times because yeah, I'm hearing yeah. that a lot from from legitimate progressive urbanists. They're saying, well, this 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 regulation might not be the right one. Yeah, you know, it's I kind of feel like we need to create as much housing, however we can. Mm -hmm. I wonder that that's about mindsets. It's not about you can show somebody all the math in the world, right? Yeah, you can show somebody density data. You can show somebody, um, you know, every PowerPoint slide you want. Right. But at the end of the day, that's a mindset question. And I wonder when you have these kind of conversations in your in your role, um, it, you know, how, how do you end up talking to folks about that, that well, kind of change? Um, I think the thing that, uh, you know, even the thing that kind of like took me down this this path was thinking about the the city that um, the city that I'm going to leave behind for my for my kid, mm. um, you know, and that's that's the sort of you know that's the mindset that i'm i apply to all this work it's like well you know is she going to be able to buy a house in my neighborhood and the answer is no she probably couldn't do it now you know much less in 25 years or whatever when she is in the market right is your kid is she in the market she sounds like a pretty wealthy yeah. little kid <laughs> yeah 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 she's yeah not uh, not quite old enough to get a loan yet yeah. but uh uh yeah so so the thing is like well how do i preserve the the things that i love about the neighborhood um so that my you know the next generation gets to enjoy those things right. you know and that's that's you know diversity that's you know uh, all sorts of people from all different classes, you know, being able to, to live together in one in one place. I mean, one thing that really, uh, you know, recently, you know, sort of put a put a point on it is, you know, we were uh, we you know had high hopes that she was going to take to the violin, and so we had this you know little tiny violin. We took it. We had her going to a violin teacher, and. Uh, you know, ultimately, she wasn't really great at violin, but our our teacher, who was, you know, um, she's probably like 25, mm -hmm. professional musician, mm -hmm. she couldn't afford the rent in her apartment. She had to move, move to Burien. Right. And and I look at like, well, you know, selfishly, like, oh, well, you know, that's that's something that 
that that's an opportunity that that we lost, right? That person now, yeah, that's you know, a great is never gonna, gonna, yeah, yeah. It's never going to come back. Right. Um, and part of what makes Seattle special, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, whether it's the poets, that, that's kind of my yeah, right? totally, that's my yeah. jam, right? The, but but poets are moving out. Yeah, we we, we have a hard time with uh, local features now yeah. because we because all poets live in Northgate, right? Minimum, minimum, right. Uh, you know, and the and the the music scene, same thing, yeah. right? And so that part of isn't that what makes Seattle so much cooler than yeah. San Francisco? I mean, right? That's the the, the grungy folks, and yeah. So it it I I see that that's a really great way to frame it up. Yeah. So I I just you know I come from a uh, you know of course I'm uh, you know uh, horribly wonky, but for the most part you know when I when I think uh, people can uh, understand. How the context, the social context of, of you know, what this, what these decisions today are going to mean for, uh, mean for the next generation for their own kids. Mm. I think that that they're like, oh yeah, you know, I do love these things about my neighborhood, and I see those things leaving, and I'm starting to understand my role in this. Right. You know, and so I, I don't know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's helping. Hey, so what do you got going on? Uh, well, let's see. So I think that there's uh, there are opportunities to advocate for a lot more housing at at Fort Lawton, which is out in Discovery Park. It's a it's a little parcel of land next to the park that has that there's been a plan to build kind of a full a spectrum of of everything from from you know homeless housing to market housing on a few acres in the middle of this park. And we could actually have a much bigger impact if we sort of fight for it right now. The city is, uh, is doing their environmental impact studies, and it's something that, you, that I think people should be tracking. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. It'd be like Central Park Living. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think, yeah, it would be yeah adjacent to the park, and it's, it's of a scale where you could build a whole neighborhood. And the opportunity for, for Seattle to build a whole neighborhood. It's a it's new like, neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, it's like, when does that happen? And, right. And there's like three or four opportunities, and they're all sort of coming, coming around right now. All right. Right, so we'll post something on that so people yeah, can get involved. Totally. All right, so we end every show with a segment we call, If You Care About, Then You Should, fill in the blanks. All right. Well, I think if you care about how your neighborhood is changing, I think you should be working to embrace change because that's how you keep neighborhoods vibrant, you keep them uh, vital, and how you become keep a part of your community. Awesome. Outstanding, Matt Hodges. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Teresa Mosqueda, Matt Hutchins. They both have a lot to say about Fort Lawton. Check that out on Google, Fort Lawton. Let's get some housing built in Seattle. This has been UpZones. Our sponsors are Intimont Theaters here, HIR, and Horizon Books. Thanks to Anthony McPherson for the dope poem sample. Thanks to the Subcons for their music. Thanks to Brandon and Naboo for sound support. And of course, Horizon Books for the engineering space. This has been UpZones. Cascadia Underground Production. I am your host, Ian Martinez. See you next week. <laughs>